0: Welcome to Breaking Form, a podcast of poetry and culture. I'm Aaron Smith. And I am James Allen Hall. For
1: those listening for the first time, we do this show in segments. We do
0: literary games. We revisit books that we love. We gossip. We do, we interview. We shade. We laugh. And we are not for everyone.
1: to talk about your new book stop lying out from the university of pittsburgh press
0: which literally technically comes out tomorrow
1: isn't that amazing yeah
0: because this will release on the 30th and the book comes out on the 31st and it has been like slipping out you know things slip out sometimes (laughs) (laughs) a little nip slip yeah it's been slipping because people have been (laughs) posting pictures online and i'm always happy to see that it's so cool and I'm very happy to have it out and not have to, like, proofread it anymore. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> oh, that's always the hardest part. Or
0: look at it again unless I have to listen to doing a reading. And I, I want the listeners to know I told James that I did not want to focus on, like, the family shit. Like when we were talking about the book today, because obviously the listeners know if they've listened to us that this is an intense book about family and my mom dying. And I'm like, I cannot sit here for a while and talk about my mom and talk and cry. <laughs> you know, well, let's
1: just review for folks who haven't, who maybe this yeah. is the first episode, right? So yeah. yeah, if you had to say like the actions or the plot of the book, I mean, for a poetry book that's kind of um I don't know, maybe a sin to say, but like what what do you think that this book is about?
0: Well, I think I would think about it more in theme versus so mm-hmm. much plot. I mean, there's definitely yeah. growing up queer and a fundamentalist Christian childhood. Yeah. There's also this complicated relationship with a mother who was very ingrained in that religion. And then a a child, me, you know, who had to find his way out and his sexuality was really a big reason that he walked away, you know, from, from that faith. And then also just, you know, a sort of against the norm queer narrative of, you know, we didn't have a simple relationship. There were lies that built up, there was truth, there was truth that then was lied about again. You know, there's lots of complexity, but how we sort of found our way Back to each other when she was dying. You know, we were very close, and I think there's also, you know, there's humor in the book too. You know, I have a poem called "Plathaholic," a party game. You know, so there's definitely intensity. There's sadness. There, there are poems that are very important for me personally. Uh, I, I sat in the room where my mom died, and I wrote the book very consistently every day, but um. Yeah. So I think that's it. It's called Stop Lying. And I think it also ties into like writing, you know, how we always say, like, tell the truth. But what does that mean? So there's a lot of levels for me that it sort of, you know, pops and cracks and fires on. But um, I don't want anyone to be like, oh, my God, I'm not going to get the book. They've done nothing but talk about their shitty family <laughs> relationships <laughs> for a whole season because you have two. you know, oh, yeah. You oh, my about gosh. your And again, there is complex family stuff, you know, so if you're someone who's interested, but there's also, I don't know, there's a part of me that wanted to go back and capture a lot of my sort of quintessential queer identity making stories, you know, things that I still think about, you know, things from my childhood, the the first lust, you know, um, relationships to just, I don't know you know sexual awakening i guess you know things yeah. like that in the intersection of sort of like the religion and mm-hmm. and where those things don't work you know or or they're yeah. not supposed to so and i also sort of went um i was thinking a lot about early books that i came to in the 90s yeah <laughs> i don't mean i don't like, i don't mean that i came but it worked oh, as to them. Too. <laughs> yeah oh sure sure <laughs> I lined them up with a wall and fire hosed them all down. Um, <laughs> Here you go, Phil I still can't get what work is clean. Um, <laughs> <laughs> work doesn't need to be clean. Yes. But I, the, but, you know, and there was a certain, even, even the style of the book, those books had, like, usually had pictures sort of in the middle of a book, you know, surrounded by bands of color, like they were square. On the cover. On the cover. And that's, that's yeah. what I asked the press to do. And there were also sort of very tight narratives that I was interested mm-hmm. in when I first came to poetry that sort of maybe moved to a revelation or epiphany, even though I, my last book, I sort of moved away from epiphany and went to more opening. And I think there's mm-hmm. still that too, but I was sort of interested in like, how do we move to, through a poem and this sort of tight narrative, you know, tight way of moving a poem yeah, uh, but I definitely think that I still am very much in the juxtaposition too, where it's sort of like, let's let these things just interact and not tidy. So I don't know, a lot of different influences kind of led me to here. I do think that I've used, you know, I think a lot of us, whatever we decide, whatever, not we decide, whatever chooses us as our writing subject it's still in the book. And I don't know how I will write and not write about family and queerness and my mother, et cetera. But I think oh. that's just what it is. And and some of the stories, again, I've, I've told in other books, but I come at them differently, I hope. And I think in the context of this book, when you put different things with them, they pop and crack differently and, and, and intersect yeah. differently.
1: I remember, I think it's I think it's the beginning of East of Eden. This will be a real fun fact check for me <laughs> uh, and um sort of the um the narrator describing um parents as gods who have to fall, basically, and there's something about like when you're when your parent dies that you re-examine your childhood. There's this normal intersection, I think, in your book between like parents their their authority and god and that
0: authority too well i also through my life my mother became god you know Mm -hmm. she was the one who said god says this god says that you know so walking away from faith it's like she was still there being god representing that so as i grew older there were my 20s when i was angry and I moved far away and I didn't want to talk to them and I was pissy all the time. And then, you know, just, and then as I got older, like reconciling things and then realizing that we were all just going to lie about it after, you know, like, I feel like I I had to come out a lot. I I came out a lot and just kept saying, Nope, I don't accept that. (laughs) I never met your mom in
1: life. I, I, I came to her funeral. Um, Mm -hmm.
0: and, um, so I mean, the funeral where the preacher talked about how my dad said he would have my mom mounted on the wall, um, instead of burying her, and he said that during the service. Yes, I. And <laughs> such a fucked up funeral. It okay. was such a fucked up funeral. It was also the funeral where,
1: after the after the service, the one of the ushers came up and, like, I guess was dismissing people for the last view and getting people mm-hmm. out so the family could be, you know, the last moment. And, uh, with, with your mom and he came up to, I was sitting at the end of the row. He came up to me and said, you know,
0: you, you may go up. And I said,
1: no, I'm good. (laughs)
0: <laughs> and they're like um, I don't want actually, to actually go away bitch it's actually you you will now go up it's not like you had the option that's the only exit was by the casket he said you know?
1: "May," and so I said I'm good and he said it again I was like no I'm good and that's when our friend Tommy said no, James you have to go and, yeah. and the poet Celeste Ganey was with you too the three of you well, were sitting were and sitting, Celeste yeah. when the preacher when the preacher told the story about how your mom said If you go before me, I am going to have a yard sale with these mounted heads of Mm, like... Animal heads. (laughs) Animal heads that surround him and watch Fox News with your father 24-7, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, those poor animals, like, even in death, they don't have uh, a chance, right? They don't have and agency. Then <laughs> they they,
0: they know all about Hunter Biden. All about talk Hunter about Biden. hell.
1: Shit. <laughs> so, and then your dad said, well, if you go first, I'm going to have you mounted and put on the walls, right? Mm-hmm. And the preacher told this story, and I have to say, I grabbed Celeste's hand to keep from laughing because it was... I'm the kind of thing if I saw in a movie, I would have laughed,
0: you well, know you know when I sit here and talk about my life and these stories, i'm like, I'm like, God, you know, like if I ever write a memoir, I guess it could be kind of wild because it does have all of these things that to me, don't even feel like it until I say right. it out loud. I'm like, God, that's really fucked up. considering yeah. the preacher said nothing else about yeah. Belinda and me, nothing. He just told nothing. that story, and that yeah. was it. There's a a real
1: tonal range in the book, that there are moments of grace, of levity, of out and out like just irony and wittiness and funniness. Like there are poems I laughed at in "Stop Lying," but there are a lot of other moments where you stay in the stay in it too. Like a, a, a lot of them about your father, where yeah. there's anger there's implication of your father's sexism and misogyny like when he's giving you the the sex talk there's also tenderness and sweetness towards your father as well
0: empathy i say this in the book we had to grieve who we thought our father would become once mom died mm. so we thought that dad might change dad might soften dad might you know turn off fox news and go out into the world and, and- didn't so it's like learning to to figure out how to keep loving someone you know maybe they've always been the same but without mom there to buffer it what does that mean then
1: there's a moment in your poem outlaw when you say your father is the self-described neighborhood outlaw and i Mm -hmm. think that kind of moment is representative in your book because there's an irony and an earnestness in that moment. Like he really is the toughest man in the valley, as we've said before. And the speaker identifies with the father in certain moments. And yet there's this other, this archness that we've talked about too, where you say something like, if he's a bad man, it's because he's a broken man. In the poem, my father asks me for a buzz cut, You really um, have this tenderness.
0: And I was wondering if you could read that poem for us. Sure. My father asked me for a buzz cut. At first, I don't know how to touch him. As men, we barely hug. This is the first time, he says, someone who's not a barber's cut my hair. The light gray doesn't hide the scalp. Bald late in life, the way I was early. I'm an old gray dog, and we laugh. We have the same moles, one tucked along the neckline, one hidden above our temples on the left. Go slow so you don't clip them. I start with the thickest part, then over the crown, pull each ear down to find what's hidden. I've cradled the heads of so many men, Cupped chins, stroked cheeks, pulled mouths to my mouth, grabbed handfuls as they've knelt between my legs. There's an innocence in the way my father submits, allows me to strip him, my skin on his, scrape again and again to get each tiny hair. I circle the chair, my belly against one shoulder, the other, make sure my sideburns are even, I bend, look only as long as I need. If my father were a man I thought I could love, we'd lock eyes, both of a shy, just beginning. So I think even what you were saying when I say the line, if my father were a man I thought I could love, I'm trying to get like the metaphor of how we meet men, those of us who try to love men and this is a new opportunity when you go out with someone. I, maybe I could love this person, but also the literal of my father were a man I thought I could love. Um, so yeah, yeah, I do think that I try to get a lot of that sort of—I um, don't know—double meaning. But isn't that what all poets do? I don't want to act like I invented a double meaning <laughs> because I know
1: <laughs> no. But you, there's so much of your poems that do that, especially at the ending where you you find this moment that is reverberating across different like valences different like radio frequencies i think of like in outside the lines how you write about drawing these fantasy men these Mm -hmm. right and then you say you know you're drawing these fantasy men i'd never be but desired which is a really fascinating definition of desire that we're the mirror for the thing that we lack Mm -hmm. at the same time right But that's not that's really not my question at the end of the
0: poem. (laughs) Can I just say to men are terrifying (laughs) and I think that I can control them in my work, you know, as much as I can or I can cut them up with scissors. But anywhere else, they're just horrifying. Yeah, well, that's what I'm going
1: to get at. Right. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the poem of uh, Outside the Lines, again, your father, the outlaw, you the outlaw in this other way. Right. Um,
0: An outlaw and desire.
1: Yeah. Right. So at the end of the poem, you write that before your mother comes home, like you're sitting there, you know, making you drawing these men. (laughs) Right. And then when your mom comes home, you bulleted red holes into their heads, carved hard, deep wounds into stomachs, cut each of them limb by limb with the good scissors I wasn't supposed to use. Uh And I love that ending because it has this earnest emotion to it right here's another outsider or outlaw moment you're not supposed to use the good scissors on Mm -hmm. the paper right um but you're not supposed to destroy since you know these men are you have the impulse to love and protect them Mm -hmm. right and so i love that moment
0: so much it's the the kid interacting with the page and Scissoring that word, <laughs> scissoring the page, scissoring with cutting with scissors, desire, yeah, and cutting up. But also, I mean, have haven't I continued to do that my whole life? I mean, yeah. hasn't it been me grappling with the realness of men, but also, you know, <laughs> cutting it right off, <laughs> writing and, it down,
1: telling I mean, all this shit? Yeah. Girl, and I mean. Also, in Breaking Form, our our cover art, uh, you know the the art for cover uh, for Breaking Form is your dolls, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> yeah,
0: arranged. And you, mean, and you mean like Ken, not my pills, like in Valley of the Dolls. <laughs> I don't put them out for anybody. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I haven't even seen those, dear listener. So yeah, but then. So that's a lot. Thanks of a, for the psychoanalysis. <laughs> Aren't you? <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> if anyone wants to know what kind of workshop leader I am, mm-hmm, it's very fruity. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's an earlier poem in the book. And then later you get to queer joy. So that's what I was really like hoping we'd bridge to is something like a a poem like my 1990s that does have this specter of of tragedy in it but also this fabulous dark glitter that the speaker exists in the cloud of
0: would you read that poem for us too sure and i want to say too before i do i've had a great gay life you know, and I mean, in in so many ways, a great life. But you know, and I know. Hopefully, I'm not. I still have some time. But mm-hmm. I am drawn to, as you are, writing about the difficult things, the trauma, those things. Um, I love humor, but the you know the humor is dark too. But mm-hmm. this poem sort of falls in the middle of the book, and it was one where I wanted to sort of go back and capture the thrill of being gay in the '90s and the early 2000s. And you know, I feel like I really lived it up, you know, in such a wonderful way. And as you said, there's definitely some some sad things that happened in the poem. But overall, I look back and think, wow, what a thrilling time in my life. So this is called my 1990s. One, we had to meet guys to see guys, no curated screens. We had to flirt, watch, smirk, suck in our stomachs. We grabbed erections on dance floors, shoved cash into the boots of straight men who danced naked on bars. We sang along to songs we never learned the names of. Once I followed a man with a nipple ring to a tent, and he used his underwear to clean me. Once a man followed me home and opened his mouth when I came. Do you need a condom for oral? The one who said, go wait on your knees, and walked naked through the hall to find me. Winter doorways, slick roads home, no money for taxis. Can anyone drive drunk? Closeted guys, older guys, the physicist on crutches whose prosthesis I carried on our date. And there was a thrill to it, Two. And there was AIDS, friends who got the blood test and wept. Robert shaved his head and hanged himself from the ceiling. Tim worked for a doctor and told us each guy's status. Tim sucked off my friend, though he asked him to stop. Tim flew into a guardrail from what was left of his car. Matt and Brian, Tim and Derek and Tommy, fag hags and drag queens and a leather bar under a railroad bridge. The straight girl who bought us Playgirl while we waited in the car, porn on VHS, all-night boat cruise in Boston Harbor, women's jeans size 10, the guy on Newberry Street who touched the small of my back, the guy who drove me home, whose CDs I stole from his car, Stevie Nicks, Carpenter's Gold, Greatest Hits, and George Michael, I threw them away the next day. Ecstasy, Vodka, Special K, Becoming a Man, Indigo Girls, Sarah McLaughlin, Tori Amos, Queerest Folk, and Poems About Fucking Nobody Would Publish. Aiden Shaw, Reginald Shepard, David Trinidad, Mark Doty, Sharon Olds, Cher. Early Britney Spears, Madonna, What the Living Do, Philadelphia, Boston's Pink Sky, Chad, Who Was Gay Bashed, My Mom Was Alive and Didn't Know I Was Gay, and There Was a Thrill to It.
1: My 1990s sort of um, recalls these other poems in the book that lack punctuation or where sentences fuse into each other. There's this way that you're crafting lack like lack of punctuation at the same time that you're you have this like hyperactive conflation of things um and it really to me is like the most psychological real psycho it's the for me the most psychologically real um experience of grief like there's all this lack and yet the world just runs into each other all these are gone because someone you love has gone too. Um, And I just, I I wanted you to talk a little bit about how you discovered that part of the book, how, how you discovered that writing those kinds of poems.
0: What I was interested in, sometimes when I look down the page and I see the connective tissue conjunctions, articles, they start to feel like wasted words and they start to freak me out that we can't communicate without using them so much. Yet we fill poems up with all these boring throwaway words. So I wanted to see how I could move through a poem losing as much connective tissue as possible and it still be able to convey what the poem wants to convey. So while I said there are narratives, you know, in the poem, sort of old school narratives, I also was trying to compress and and crash the language together I do feel like it was my language of grief. Now, Paul Monette does a similar thing in um, Elegies for, for Raj, you know, and I didn't look back at that book until we visited on the podcast. So, I mean, I know it's somewhere in my brain, but there's something about just, can I get to the essential? Maybe that's the question. How much more can I lose and still be a person? So how much language can I lose and still evoke? And, you know, how much can I take away and still get the poem to do what it needs to do?
1: So how this game works is I'm going to give you lines from your own poems and ask you um, if you know the title of the poem. Sounds great. Right. You've spent your whole life trying to write hard truths, but failed your mother when she needed to tell her own.
0: That is from What Is That Song You Sing for the Dead, yes. which is a Sufjan Stevens line that I borrowed as a title. And it it gets into a lot of music and thinking about my mother and my life through a lens of the music wow. that I grew up with. I, I mean, I just think, again, there it is.
1: like You facing really, really hard truths in this book, too. Um, I'm writing a poem that mentions a red wheelbarrow. Fuck off!
0: That is the one. Some days, everything I do, I do. Yeah,
1: I love that moment <laughs> of like meta consciousness in the poem, and and your
0: humor there. Oh, I sent that to the New Yorker. Guess what? What? They didn't take <laughs> it.
1: <laughs> Fuck off, New Yorker.
0: I mean, I knew they would, but you, you know, it's like the lottery. Yeah, spent whole life trying to explain. That is from the one called. Is it closet? Is that what it's called? No, it's
1: called. I think it, it's called nothing changed.
0: That's it. I think it was called closet. in Oh,
1: early look night. at that. Isn't it funny yeah. how those stick in our heads?
0: Yeah, because yeah. I was like, that's it. And I can see it on the page. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Nothing, yeah. Right. Um,
1: a body untouched is still a body. I used to believe.
0: That is from strange beauty. Almost. Is it? Oh, no, it's the other one. No, no, no. It? You got beauty right. Is it not strange? Mm-hmm. Oh, this God, is strange. Is just... <laughs> I know. Is it funny? I can't remember. And I'm not high at all. Zero. Stupid beauty. Stupid beauty. Stupid beauty.
1: One of my friends still goes to church. He says it makes him feel better when I go. I feel sadder than I do when I see a clown. Remember the Melissa Manchester song, Don't Cry Out Loud? I wanted to feel baby's pain when she took up with some clown in the circus. I lip-synced it Wednesday nights when my parents let me stay home from church and made myself cry staring into the mirror. That's from
0: Blast. I love that poem, too. (laughs) No punctuation a prose poem. I love... I mean, that's also... I mean, always... When I do a prose poem with no punctuation, it's always inspired by my friend and yours, Maureen Seton. She's masterful, and I always want to catch that movement. And can you, can you read through the poem, and it makes sense without a lots of stumbles?
1: This uh, first, The first part of this is in italics. Did I really tell you to get AIDS and die? Yes, I said, and that if I were gay, you'd want to put me on a bus and never see me again. Then silence. That place we always return to, but somehow this time new.
0: What sad is your multiple poems and books? It's such a painful, (laughs) awful childhood memory that I can't stop writing. Like I I keep thinking, oh, I'm not gonna say it. And then it's just it was so significant. But it's from After My Mother Apologizes for My Childhood, we go to Brush. Yes.
1: Indeed, it is. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a very
1: different poem than the ones that you've, where that memory has showed up in before.
0: When that comment is revisited, there's some new information that shows up from where it was mentioned in other books.
1: I think about that poem all the time. I remember when I was young in West Virginia, leaving into a life I believed I would be happy in. That is from a poem that is called Untitled. It is, indeed, which I love the fact that it's called Untitled. So much about this book is also about like the scripts that we think that we inherit and how queer people don't inherit those scripts and have to reimagine and revise them for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't say it was a perfect ending.
0: That's from Happy Ending. And we all need one of those.
1: (laughs) We all really do. (laughs) Let's record this bitch. Let's do it. Here's the passage from East of Eden. When a child first catches adults out. When it first walks into his grave little head that adults do not always have divine intelligence, that their judgments are not always wise, their thinking true, their sentences just, his world falls into panic desolation. The gods are fallen and all safety gone. And there is one sure thing about the fall of gods. They do not fall a little, they crash and shatter or sink deeply into green muck. It is a tedious job to build them up again. They never quite shine. And the child's world is never quite whole again. It is an aching kind of growing. It's beautiful. And then we talk about Paul Monette's book, Love Alone, 18 Elegies for Raj.
0: It was published by St. Martin's. It was. Yep, Indeed. And then one final thing I will say is when I mention Aiden Shaw in my poem that I read on the show, my 1990s, I'm talking about the porn star and poet Aiden Shaw, not John Corbett on Sex and the City. So that's important to know. Um, yeah, that string of pre <laughs> the hay. Roll in the hay. Deserves many poems. Many, many poems. <laughs>
1: And you are not talking about Sex in the City again. <laughs> no, <I'm> talking about <laughs> Sex in the Barn. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for the fact check.
0: Thank you, and thank you for um maybe buying my book.
1: Yeah, and you know what? Everyone, stop lying. Stop, stop it. Quit. Stop lying now. Hey everyone, if you enjoyed today's Breaking Form, please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Breaking Form Pod. Review us with five stars on Apple, and we'd love it if you'd support us by buying our books. Links are in the show notes. And remember, we're not for everyone.
0: I didn't say it was a perfect ending.